Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We are broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus on the unceded and traditional Musqueam territory in Vancouver. This is your host, Sarah Unju, and I am here. Even though you weren't expecting me, yes, I know that last week I said our show would be bi weekly and that I would talk to you guys on the 14th. But guess what? We have new volunteers, we have new correspondents, which means that we have people to go to stuff, not actually go in person, most things are online right now, but we have people to just review and do interviews, and so we're able to produce content for you, which is amazing. I'm so happy to be back and to have this show weekly again. Because I don't, I just really like doing this for you. I love just doing radio in general. So this is amazing. Honestly, so happy. And I'm really happy that you can join us. Um, if you're just tuning in right now, hello, this is Sarah. I have a great show for you. My show, not my show, our show. Um, today on our show, we have an interview with Sierra Haynes about Studio 58's upcoming performance, The Doll's House Project. And then we have a review of The Belkin Gallery. Actually, this review is done by Phoebe and Nicola, who are two of our, our new correspondents, which is amazing. And then we have a review of My Name is Pedro, done by Silvana. Silvana is a correspondent of ours that was with us the previous years too unfortunately when she was in exchange last term she wasn't able to do uh, anything for us basically because she was in Amsterdam <laughs> but she's back and so I'm so happy to have her back and then after these reviews I have two reviews one of them is a review of a dance show by Fake Knot uh, Hinky Punk <laughs> I really hope I'm pronouncing those right. Anyways, and then my final review will be of a play called No Child by the Arts Club Theatre Company. And so I am gonna start with the interview with Sierra Haynes. And then after, right after the interview, we're gonna go into an Adam PSA break. And after the Adam PSAs, we will be back. Hello everyone! Today I'm with Sierra Haynes, who is in her final year of acting at Studio 58. They are putting on the Doll's House project and we're here to chat about it. So hi Sierra, welcome, thank you for joining me. Um, let's start off with what the Doll's House project is. Could you tell us a little about it? Uh, yes, alright. So 
I'm just gonna do this one quick embarrassing thing. Um, the doll's house. Hello everybody, my name is Sierra. I'm here to talk <laughs> to you about our show. So A Doll's House was originally written by Heinrich Ibsen um, a long, long time ago, and it's gone through several um, rewrites and changes, as many old shows do, but at its heart, it's about a woman um, learning who she is and freeing herself of the patriarchy, which is a pretty incredible thing to have written in the 1800s. Um, and we're putting it on stage now in a different kind of way where obviously due to COVID, we're socially distanced and physically distanced on stage. So everyone is always six feet apart. Oh, wow. Um, and we have an ensemble kind of emoting what you can't do as actors acting. Mm -hmm. That's kind of our take. I don't know if I answered your question yeah, very well. No, no. Yeah, yeah, no, that was good. Um, thank you. Uh, talking about physical distancing and COVID. Um, so these are unusual times. And you've been at Studio 58 before COVID hit. So like back when everything was normal. Um, so I was wondering how the casting and the rehearsal process for this performance was different from your previous experience. Okay. Normally we would have in-person auditions um, and a series of like callbacks and stuff with the, with the director and the creative team. Um, however, this time we had our auditions sometime in August. Mm -hmm. We were given the monologue that our director, Laura, wanted us to read. Um, and then we zoomed in <laughs> and we did our monologue piece and she gave us, as per usual, feedback on it, did it again. And she also asked us to play an instrument that we knew and she also asked us to show her our dancing skills. So I turned on... Um, Dancing Queen by Abba, and I just <laughs> nice. grew for a bit over Zoom, and she watched me dance in my room. <laughs> That's amazing. Were yeah. the rehearsals, I'm assuming the rehearsals were in person? Yes, our rehearsals are in person at Langara College. We always have to wear masks mm -hmm. during our rehearsal time, and everyone, um, there's like restrictions about how many people are allowed to be in rooms at a time, and... Um, also were asked to keep a distance of six feet if possible at all times. So it's masks, physical distancing, and like room occupant restrictions. Mm -hmm. Will you be wearing masks during the performance or not? Yes. yes. Yeah, that's really We actually cool. have two different kinds of masks. We have our regular face masks, and then we also have resonance masks, mm -hmm. made specifically so that we can sing oh, and be okay. heard like... So they're not muffling our voices, mm -hmm. right? We, they kind of look like a little duck bill. They give us more room to speak. Okay, that's really cool. I honestly didn't think that you would be wearing masks during the performance, but I feel like it's uh, an amazing ex uh, example for everyone who will be watching the show because if performers can perform with masks on, then, you know, you can wear yeah, them. Yeah, we, we perform... Out. Well, I'd like to put a little stipulation in that. We perform with our masks on... If we're singing with our resonance masks and we also, or if we're sitting on the edge as ensemble, we have our masks on, mm -hmm. but within the playing space of the show, like the acting portion, mm -hmm. we do have our masks off, Okay. but we're always at least six feet, mm -hmm. if not more apart from each other. Okay. So we're never 
uh, within range of any moist speaking, <laughs> it will not hit the other person ever. Okay, that's great. Yeah. That's amazing. And um, talking about the ensemble, uh, so the Doll's House Project is an ensemble pay, play piece, <laughs> so you'll be playing multiple characters, right? And yeah. so I was wondering if these characters that you're playing are more similar or different from each other and how that affects you as an act actor in general. Um, I would say it's definitely a great acting challenge because for myself, I play Nora twice, who's mm -hmm. like the main character. Mm -hmm. And then I also play her husband at one point, And then I also play one of her old uh, childhood friends named Christine Lind. So you kind of have to be able to jump into where these characters are emotionally almost at any given time during the show. So that can be a challenge. I know there's one specific handoff that I can think of. Mm -hmm. Where I go, oh my gosh, the scene is coming. The scene is coming. <laughs> gotta get emotional. Gotta have a breakdown. <laughs> like I did not work myself up to get to that point. So I really have to pay attention to what's happening on the playing space on stage. Mm -hmm. So that when I have to go in and trade off and be Nora next, I'm like more or less there mm -hmm. with, the, with the character. Instead of just being like, here's my gesture work beautiful job with your hands you know yeah so you do have to really um concentrate in a new kind of way mm -hmm. and was the was the preparing process for these roles um pretty much the same do you think or for example like delving into what these characters entail like their personalities and stuff like that yeah I mean I think that all comes down to your script work and how prepared you are as an actor so um, Laura, our director, really spent quite a bit of time with each of us in our first rehearsal, just going through and being like, what is the goal of this scene? What are the goals of the, each of the characters in this scene? And she never, like, she really spent time with us to figure that out mm -hmm. so that when we were on stage, it wasn't a question anymore. We are, we knew mm -hmm. what our goal was. It wasn't, like, um, hazy. Okay. So it's all just your script work, regular acting actors work that if you do your work well you'll be prepared to go and do it okay that's great that's good to hear and um as well as your multiple characters you're also playing the violin in the show so yeah. <laughs> which is honestly <laughs> very impressive how long have you been playing the violin for um i've been playing since i was 10 so i guess about 12 years now okay wow and um is this your first time playing an instrument on stage as part of a stage production no, I, no. I have done this before, um, most memorably, uh, a few years ago at the Globe Theatre in Regina with their Sandbox series. Mm -hmm. It was a show called Paper. I was um, brought on to be the music director and co-composer of the score with my violin. So me and a couple of other friends like wrote the score to the show and we would follow the audience around and play the show the whole night, mm -hmm. which was really a wonderful process. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um... So how do you think it's different from you playing the violin in this one? Yeah, um, I guess the core difference would be this show has music in like at the beginning to like set a mood mm -hmm. um, and then uses music again for another very specific mood change and then at the end again for like kind of like a release. Mm-hmm. 
of emotions, whereas in the other project, it was kind of like always there in the show. It was like part of the show always. So just just a little bit different, but not too different. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I want to ask if you would like to incorporate your violin playing into more plays in the future if you have the chance. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had actually for studio last semester right before COVID killed us all on stage. <laughs> My play, The Radium Girls, was supposed to go on stage. We were a week and a half from opening, and um, I had actually written a score with one of my friends. We got, mm-hmm. got it recorded. I played the piano and the fiddle with her on it, and it sounded beautiful. And I was excited to see that go up and, you know, mix with my, my baby of a show. And then it just didn't get to happen, so I have something to look forward to in the future. Yeah. And also a sad, like, sound bite to listen to every now and then when I go, that was beautiful one day. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I'm sorry you didn't get to do that. But okay. um, at least you'll be playing the violin in the Doll's House yeah. project. And also, going back to the play itself, um, this performance is going to be streamed and it's not in person uh-huh. because of, as you mentioned, COVID. And um, do you think not having an audience will change the performance for you and for your fellow actors um, in any way? Maybe like you will be feeling less or more nervous or I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah, that's a really good question. So at school, we do have an audience of like maybe 15 people Mm -hmm. because whoever's in the studio bubble is allowed to come and see the show. So like staff, faculty, and students of Studio 58 are allowed to come and like be in the room with us. Um, It is very different performing to such an empty room. Mm -hmm. You know, you're used to the full space and people like right on you. You can feel them and like everything like that. Um, It's not it's not like that this time around. Um, you still have the sense of someone being there because you know it's true, but it's not the same. Um, and then I guess we'll, we'll also be like filming, we'll be filming the streamed version of the show tomorrow, actually. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're, we're being called in earlier in the day to film some like insert shots. Mm-hmm. Um, And then in the evening, they will be doing master shots of our performance. Mm -hmm. So kind of like small scenes and then a big scene, big scenes, Mm -hmm. big wide shots. Um, And then they're going to edit that together and that will be the streamed copy on the 10th. Yeah, that's really cool, though, because I feel like in even though it's unfortunate that you're not going to be able to have an audience as big as you're normally used to for the audience I feel like it will be pretty cool to be able to view the performance in different um, angles and different shots so yeah yeah. I'm I'm excited about it and I think that the other kind of upside to the streaming of this show is that a lot of us come from all across the country Mm -hmm. so our families don't necessarily get to watch our shows unless they fly in. And that's quite an expensive thing to do for a show twice a semester. (laughs) Um, So this time around my family back home in Saskatchewan actually just gets to hit this link and go, there's our kid there. She's doing the acting thing she tells (laughs) us about all the time. (laughs) You know, that's really cool. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. That's nice. 
And um, okay, so uh, finally, I want to ask, um, the Doll's House project seems quite unique from both what I've heard about it online and what I've heard from you right now. So for either people who are already RSVP'd to the viewing link or those who are considering but aren't sure yet, what do you think should they be expecting from this performance? I think that they should uh, take any expectations they have and just throw them away <laughs> because at this point we're kind of reinventing what it means to go to the theater. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's going to be very unexpected, but I think it's still going to be um, a beautiful experience and they'll still have, you know, um, the moment of catharsis that everybody wants when they go see a show. They're still going to get that. It's just going to look and feel different. And I would encourage people to go check it out just because it is such a unique such a unique time. There's not a lot of theater happening right now. So yeah. watching what is being done, I think, is actually a very invigorating artistic experience. Yeah, I agree, definitely. Also, we'd like to remind everyone that the stream is on October 10th at 8 p.m. and it is free to watch. So you can just sign up on Studio 58's website, which is amazing Woo! because... I mean, theater uh, can be really expensive. And so the fact that you're making this available for free to watch is amazing. And... Yeah, you can literally watch it at whatever point. I think you're going to have the link for maybe a week, mm -hmm. I think. Um, and so if you don't want to watch it on the 10th, you don't have to. If you want to watch it Sunday morning being lazy, go for it. You know, like it's kind of like Netflix. You can just start it <laughs> and then stop it and <laughs> start it again. I would recommend watching it all the way through, but... Yeah, me too, but, you know, if that's not your cup of tea, you can do that too. You can stop it, Yeah, and you can watch whenever you want, so just get the link, why not? Exactly, that sounds great. Thank you so much. Um, I am excited to see you perform in it, and to view the performance in general, and thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This has been so exciting. Yeah, of course. Um, have a nice day. You too. To prevent the spread of coronavirus 2019 or COVID-19, social distancing and self-isolation measures have been recommended. What is social distancing? Social distancing includes, but is not limited to, discussing the possibility of working from home, avoiding visits to long-term care homes, retirement homes, supportive housing, hospices, and other congregate care settings unless the visit is absolutely essential, avoiding non-essential trips in the community, keeping the windows down if you have to go into the community for an essential trip via taxi or rideshare, limiting or canceling group gatherings, spending time outside and in settings where people can maintain one to two meters or three to six feet of distance from each other. These guidelines are not meant to say you must stay in your home. You can still go outside and take a walk, go to the park or walk your dog. If you need groceries, go to the store. It is simply recommended that while outside, you make sure to avoid crowds and maintain a distance from those around you. the New Testament. I think the New Testament.
The question is, Pilot, remember Pilot from the New Testament? What does Pilot? He fiddled while... Yeah, no, well, just a minute. Let me ask the question, then you can give me the answer, okay? Did Pilot want Jesus to be crucified? Uh, uh, Pontius Pilate washed his hands of it. So did he want him to be crucified? Yeah. No. 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 Well, tune in every Friday afternoon, 3.30 to the night. Well, find a good church. It'll help you. Hi, everyone. Hello, I'm back. So... Even though I am back right now, I am going to leave you once again. Because as I said in the beginning of the show, right now we have two reviews and neither of those reviews are by me. The first review is done by our new correspondents, Nicola and Phoebe. So I shall be passing on the mic to them. Enjoy. Thank you, Sarah. Hi, my name is Nico Martin Machino. And my name is Phoebe Telfa. Today we are going to review Tanya Wilward's Belkin Sound exhibition at UBC, which, which kicks off the 2020-21 Emerge season. So to give just a little bit of background on Tanya first, this was taken from the Bourdain Gallery's website, so uh, full credit to them. Um, Tanya Willard is of... Sequipmic Nation and Settler Heritage, um, and apologies if I've pronounced that wrong, I'm doing best to learn. Um, and her work uh, deals with shifting ideas around what is considered contemporary and traditional, often invoking bodies of knowledge and skills that are conceptually linked to her interest in the intersections between Sequipmic knowledges and other cultures. Um, and she is currently an assistant professor at UBC Okanagan, um, but also full-time artist. So Nico and I had the pleasure of attending um, a virtual studio visit through Zoom. And uh, yeah, what did you think of that? Yeah, that was uh, super interesting. That was, I think, um, like she mentioned, the studio session that we viewed was it was a perfect opportunity for her to invite people into her studio, which is something that she doesn't normally do. And uh, the safest way would be to do it virtually. So we definitely had the pleasure to experience that with her. And I'll go in a little bit to talk about uh, the Emerge season here, which is what is being hosted at the Belkins, um, at the Belkin Museum at UBC. Now, the Emerge is a series of talks, workshops, and behind-the-scene tours dedicated to introducing part participants to the Vancouver art scene with an emphasis on professional development. Each year, Emerge focuses around a key theme or a set of ideas to guide discussions and events. The guiding themes of this academic year are art, community, and social change. And I think those three themes are definitely something that was present in uh, Tanya's work there. But um, honestly, I think I think it was really interesting, you know, just to see kind of how she lives, how she feeds off, um, you know, different different muses, and uh, just to see uh, just where her artistic being centers around, which is her studio, and to see you know all the works on the wall, on the floor, literally everywhere is just riddled with work of work of arts and uh, arts that are going to be on display pretty soon here so 
I enjoyed it. I was also in the hospital at that moment with my grandfather. So oh, wow. it really did illuminate my, my day because, uh, yeah, for everyone knows the hospital is, uh, not, not so, such a good place to, to spend your time. So it was nice to be in that virtual world and see someone being really creative and, you know, really, um, involved in, in the community and, and ma- trying to make a change. So I was definitely grateful for that, but, uh, yeah, totally. what do you uh, what do you think? Um, yeah, I would totally agree with that. I at first was kind of uh, yeah, like everything at the moment. I was kind of sad that it was online um, until I joined the the Zoom call and quickly figured out that it was such a intimate. Uh, tour I suppose that we wouldn't have been able to experience if it had been in person um and so I really appreciated how we got to see a very uh friendly and personable and casual side of of the artist and it was yeah a nice way to view the sort of inside workings of her process it was almost almost Um, like we were inside her brain eh? totally like super interesting. It's always a blessing to be in an art in an artist studio. You know, it's always a really cool place to hang out. And you know, if you're a drinker, drink some wine, or you know, <laughs> eat some cheese, or if you're like me, drink your tea, yerba mate. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, so we viewed her. That session was on Friday the second. Yeah. So that was pretty pretty recent. And um, like I mentioned earlier about the themes of uh, the Belkin exhibitions going on for the emerge season her principles revolved around a lot of uh, social change and that's something that I did ask her at the end when it was uh, the Q&A part and I asked her I was like so at the end of the day what really is uh what's what's the goal of you are you know do is there an end to to it and she said uh yeah like she she just wants to implement a transition period she's really hoping for things to to change in the future and she wants her her art to be uh, kind of a symbol for that and, and saying that we need a little bit more connection with the land we need a little bit more of uh, decolonization all that stuff which is arguable in the sense that it's, it's really hard to do of course but it's the intent that uh, that really that really means a lot for for the people that do want change so I thought uh, that really played a part into the themes of uh, the merge season what do you yeah, think yeah that's a really powerful goal to have <laughs> it's yeah it's, artists are dreamers no so it's yeah they can be you know for sure <laughs> yeah but, I think that also um, that answer she gave ties in with another exhibition that she has at the moment currently um, okay. which I wanted to throw in to this quick little segment that we have going um, because the Zoom call that we attended or the studio tour was um, more for the, the for the upcoming exhibition I think at the Balkan Gallery on campus but if you want to see some of Tanya's work right now um, she has another exhibition called uh, Affirmations for Wildflowers and Ethnobotany of Desire, um, which is at uh, the Ordain Gallery, um, which is sort of downtown, Gastown area. Um, and that's running until November 13th. 
And I thought it was a really great reason to leave the house. I really like going to see it. Um, it's, it's great if you want to um, get out and see some art and also don't want to feel a bit uneasy about uh, COVID because it's completely viewable from the street, um, which I thought was a clever idea. Um, and free, of course, because it's just as you're walking by. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, I would recommend you go see it at night because the whole setup that they have is that it's it works with really gorgeous um, reflections and projections and light. Um, and so, yeah, darkness is definitely the best time of day to see that. Um, and, yeah, I think along with what you were just saying before, the – the messages behind the the works exhibited there tend to be a sort of a combination of um, like natural inspirations, but with a very clear um, socio-political message and intent. And yeah, I, th- I thought it was really, really nice to see. Yeah, it was definitely, it looked like a lot of her, her art was very, was very active in, in the cause, you know, there's a lot of activism tied into it. And uh, just looking at my notes here, you know, there constantly I wrote down where she mentioned, you know, envisioning that transformative moment, integrating all elements, not to be displaced, to end colonization. And all those things are really, are really present in, in her works and in the way that she just even, one thing that I, that I really thought was uh, interesting was, her interpretation of, uh, you know, life and death in the sense that, you know, for a lot of us, or a lot of, there's a lot of times people think, you know, when, when death is over, that's it, you know, when it, when it happens, that's the end of the story. For example, she found a hawk on the road when she was driving out because she lives on the reserve and she, uh, on the reserve, there's all, there's a lot of uh, road kills apparently. And, um, she grabbed the hawk and she stuffed it and she put a lace in, in, in the hawk's eyes and turned it into a, a work of art. And she said that it really hurt her heart to see the hawk on the road. And I think that's, that's just beautiful at the end of the day that uh, we can transform death into something that's uh, so representative of, of life. And um, so I thought that was really a great, great just idiosyncrasy that, that she just kind of had that that's definitely present in her, in her art. And like FIBA mentioned, uh, you'll be able to witness that if you do go, see the um, see her art at uh, the SFU downtown campus and um, and even the one also at um, Belkin as well wow thank you for that um did you have any other impressions that you wanted to share uh yeah I have a couple other things in my notes here now um She said she doesn't want to accept the limits of the world because she would be adhering to the corrupt systems. Damn. So she said she wants her work to go into the world. Um, But ironically, what I also found interesting was that she does it from a small small space, which is her studio. But um, yeah, she just really, she doesn't want to limit herself, which is hugely important because from me personally, I feel very limited sometimes, you know, from the things that I can do, what I can say um you know but yeah, uh, totally. that, that's a whole nother topic in, in itself but um she also mentioned that in her in her small space she has a lot of elements that uh, reflect in her work like reflection itself 
um, the self as well, the being, and family. She also has two kids, and um, yeah, she she participates a lot with the traditions of of her father and of her nation. And um, I remember she she was talking about her father too, saying that uh, you know he collects wood, but a certain way. I don't know if you remember that. How you know yeah, the wood the wood has really to be like a that. yeah the wood has to be a certain type. You know, almost like in a sense, it has to be ripe for the picking, which is um, also very, very nice to think about compared to, you know, what lumber lumberjacks do or, you know, the lumber industry where they just see a prospect tree and first glance and just cut it down, you know, just uh, guillotine it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so it was, uh, I thought, I thought honestly at the end, really fascinating perspective idiosyncrasy uh display of work at the end of the day so me personally i would definitely recommend it for people you know the the belkin exhibit and also uh the sfu exhibit um what about you phoebe um yeah totally final takeaway um i really loved seeing her work at the ordain gallery and um this the studio tour has just made me really excited to see what's coming up next for her. So if you get the chance, I would definitely recommend going to see some of Tanya's work. Yeah, yeah. very exciting. Exciting stuff. Yeah, super cool. And just to remind the, the listeners, her name is Tanya Wilward. And uh, Phoebe, do you want to say her, her nation again? Just because I think you can say it a lot better than I can. Oh, I really hope that's right. Um, yeah, Tanya Wilward of the Subwitnik Nation. Perfect. Thanks, Phoebe. Um, yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Silvana, and I'm back with the Archer Report. Um, I'm very excited to be doing my first review of the year. This time, I am reviewing a documentary called My Name is Pedro. And probably one of the best things about doing radio from home is the fact that I can watch um, the content that is mostly online because of, you know, the situation that's happening right now. But just I can just talk about this and share it with you all right after I watched it. I literally just watched it. So it's very, very fresh in my mind. So My Name is Pedro is a documentary directed by Lillian Lasai. Lasai? I don't know. In Spanish, we pronounce it Lasalle. But like, I guess I, I'm not really sure how to pronounce it in English. But it was so good. It's a documentary from the US. So it's like directed by Lillian. It's a movie all around the character Pedro Santana, who, oh, I don't know what tense to use here, because let's say is public educator uh, from the South Bronx in New York, is Latino. He is a very, very passionate advocate of education, and he has had a very interesting life. So this movie is all around different aspects of his life he was you know the doing um different things while the camera was with him during like a couple of probably some years so it shows of course a little bit about his background his childhood he was in he was in special education so um he needed special support with certain things um sometimes he like struggled reading he also struggled with a stutter and he figured out how to control it and how to really overcome it through creative expression. So he's also very 
very expressive, very creative, very passionate person for a... This more of like the less stricter side of education, more of the like self-discovery side, the self-awareness side. And he is really, really empathetic. He grew up and he eventually wanted to um, become a teacher. So even though he was not admitted to Columbia University teaching school, he insisted. He was like, no, like you have to understand. And like he eventually like managed to speak to the people at Columbia and he managed to get in. So he like got his certificate from uh, Columbia. But even after doing this, he went back to his community and he just try to to build himself as an educator and to build up other students that grow up with lots of different difficulties and barriers to a successful education in the South Bronx. So probably many um, school kids struggled with poverty, with um, maybe violence and all these other social issues that are all, are all around the neighborhood. But then there's also this plot line that is all around the school board. So the school board has its like way of functioning and there are a lot of public schools. Um, many of like the people from like the South Bronx go to public schools. A very a small a small minority go to private schools and they mention the um, important influx of Orthodox Jewish people that have been integrated with the neighborhood um in their it's a very, very um ethnically diverse neighborhood there's people from the african diaspora um latin american diaspora uh, there's there's also probably a few arab peoples and then there's also this like really large um, orthodox jewish community and they they just didn't want to like for their like religious preferences they didn't want to really send their kids to the um, public school system so they very resiliently um, build their own um, small private private school system so that like children can learn um, things about their religion um, however there are also other public schools and when there was a shift in the people that that made up the main school board committee there was increasingly a much lesser the people that like usually went to the public school were much less represented. There were only two um, women of color in the board itself. So a lot of the funding was going uh, to private schools. Um, a lot of the public funding was being cut and people well, were suffering because then there aren't enough resources and there are many other barriers to education for um, many people who, you know, have a maybe experienced violence in their lives maybe they've like gone through immigration proce uh, procedures um so it's really hard and Pedro really showed up for the community in within um being part of the of both schools being a teacher eventually becoming a principal eventually people were trying to like get him in the board um however he couldn't make it he couldn't really make it um he didn't really get the votes even though he, the community really really backed him up so i really i honestly this was such a good documentary i really don't want to spoil much else because i really do believe people should see it i watched it online um <laughs> but it was just honestly so good i really really don't want to spoil much else because it was very 
very eye-opening on how the importance of really good educators not only teachers but like also the importance of so in general the importance of the school system very well-funded education is just so important but also having very inspiring and very enthusiastic educators is so so important how he managed to change so many people's lives of individual students and also of the community broadly it was really really touching on how like he overcame a lot of barriers that he had in his life personally but also how he really became such an idol for people in the community they could look up to him and really see where so many of these children could go from where they were and he was always really meeting him meeting the people at like where they were the students um really taking care the documentary was in itself really well made it was really well edited it was really there were some like small animations in different parts of it with Pedro speaking that were like really really well put and I just I just really 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 recommend it my name is Pedro please please look it up one teacher can make all the difference is what it says in the in the poster banner so and it's honestly so so true I really don't want to spoil anything else but please please if you have the chance look it up it was a great eye-opening documentary Discorder Magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theater, Discorder lives. Your favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discorder Magazine or at rickshawtheater.com. My name is David Scott, I play wide receiver for the University of British Columbia football team and I'm here to discuss the Be More Than a Bystander program. Myself and a few other players were lucky enough to work alongside the BC Lions and EVA, the Ending Violence Association, to support this cause. The main goal of the Be More Than a Bystander initiative is to increase awareness of domestic violence against women. For more information on the cause, please visit endingviolence.org. Hi everyone, I am back. I hope you enjoyed those reviews, but now it's time for my reviews and I'm going to be starting with a dance show that was part of the Vancouver International Dance Festival. Uh, this was by Fake Knot. It was called Hinky Punk and this was a one-man show, although at some point I'm pretty sure there was a second person, a guest dancer, that was there for five minutes and then disappeared and I thought my mind was playing games with me. But no, I am not having visual hallucinations. We're good. (laughs) Okay, so uh, let me talk about the logistics a little before I move on to the actual dance show itself. So this was uh, a little different because it was more interactive. This was done over Zoom. They sent out a Zoom link before the show and you could basically pin a video. There were four cameras and you could pin one of those like camera views and then you would be watching it from that point of view and the good thing is you were able to change it up at any point in time so what I did was I basically switched back and forth between all four of them during the whole thing because it was really interesting to just watch the show 
with um, just different point of views. Basically, that's something that you cannot have if you're there in person. You're just looking at it from the front. But here it had like a side view and a back view and one of the side views more like tilted um, towards the up. So it gave more of a backstage vibe. And I thought that was really cool. One thing that I did not enjoy about the fact that it was over Zoom was the chat. I found that the chat was a little disruptive because um, on Zoom, when anyone types into the chat and sends it, you get a notification. It pops up. Your eye moved, moves towards it. You can't help it. It's in our nature. We're humans. We were built for, you know, realizing stuff that happens in our side view. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Anyways, yeah, because like with Kokoro Dance on YouTube, I just made the video full screen and I didn't see the chat. But with Zoom, you can't really do that because even if the video is full screen, the chat is still there. Um, but you know what? These are unprecedented times and the fact that VIDF is even having anything online, like the fact that they're still giving us content is amazing and... I'm very happy that they're doing that. Okay, so on to the actual dance show itself. So Hinky Punk. Um, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I was very confused in the beginning. For like the first 10 minutes, I did not know what was going on. I was genuinely confused. I thought that the dancer was in a cube, but turns out it was just two screens i want to say it was like not even an actual screen so there was light incorporated and so it looked like he was in a glass cube but he wasn't anyways so he basically danced within that cube he did not leave that cube which is very symbolic honestly and also i'm gonna talk about it in a second um like at one big at one point um towards the beginning the um he also like i'm saying it a he because i <laughs> this is completely me assuming their gender i'm sorry if i am misgendering anyone um okay i shall continue with they so they put on the suit and then uh, they danced with the suit on and then towards the end they took off the suit and they actually left the cube and so in my head i feel like um what i interpreted it as was that we put on these suits and were constrained within this um like i don't want to use the word thing but like the rules that society puts on us, the things that we need to do. For example, this character that they were playing as a dancer, they were like performing and then there were there was applause at one point with like sound, not from actual audience. And I'm thinking, hey, it's like they're doing this, but are they really happy? Is the only reason they're doing this is because they're supposed to do something. And also, talking about the applause, I felt like it was quite interesting because, in my opinion, if there was an audience in person, <laughs> after like the second applause, the audience would start applauding when it said applause. 
on stage, which would have been really interesting, but unfortunately we did not get to see that. But yeah, um, overall, I feel like <laughs> the beginning was really confusing, but if you get through the beginning, it's really impressive. Um, you can tell that the dancers really skilled. I was genuinely impressed by how easy they made everything look. I know as a dancer that the moves they did, they are not easy at all, but it looked so effortless and I thought that was amazing. And also, I just want to say that um, being on stage for 50 minutes by yourself without leaving the stage is very difficult. And this dancer did that. This dancer was on stage for 50 minutes straight, danced for 50 minutes straight, didn't even stop once, and kept us, like... <laughs> invested in the story i mean one of my notes is basically i felt invested in their story because this they hinky punk was telling a story you know it's this character that put on the suit and was doing all these stuff i don't really know how to actually explain the stuff they were doing if you haven't seen it because there's just so much that was going on and i really don't have enough time to actually spell everything out so i would just recommend watching it for yourself also i want to mention that vidf still has performances online live streamed um i think they have farouche left which i also will be watching and reviewing and so you can it's it's by donation you can register online you can it's amazing you can watch a show for like a dollar i mean please donate more than a dollar but you know saying that just to make my point so overall hinky punk i felt was confusing but enticing at the same time which honestly is the best part about it because the more you're confused the more you want to watch it and understand it at least that's my experience if you feel like that if you're confused and you would feel disconnected to it because you were confused then it's not for you but if you're interested and invested in stories and i don't know like not so apparent things then i hinky punk is definitely for you yes um, but yeah, anyway, so I will be moving on to my review of No Child by the Arts Club Theatre Company right now. So, No Child by the Arts Club Theatre Company. So, um, No Child is a one-woman play, so which means that there's only one actress playing all of the characters, which is very impressive. Um, but because of this and how demanding playing every single role for a whole hour is, they have two actors, so um, they basically um, switch dates so that they don't perform every night and, you know, they can rest their voices and their bodies. So the, when, the one we went to was Celia Aloma. I hope I pronounced her name right. I really hope so. Okay, so No Child is about this teacher, basically. Um, she's not really a teacher, I want to say she's an actress, uh, but she is a 
guest artist teacher at a school at a high school in the Bronx for 10th graders and she basically teaches these kids theater and they put on a play so basically no child is a play within a play within a play as told by the narrator who is the school's janitor who is again played by Celia Loma <laughs> any character that I'm going to talk about is played by Celia Loma it was really impressive um so basically this play started out as pretty funny especially because I have worked with kids so I know how difficult it is to work with kids and I really related to the difficulties that this character was facing Miss Sun um the character's name is Miss Sun and so um I was really laughing a lot but like the people in the audience were kind of like laughing under their breath so I just want to say I feel like people in theater stay like keep themselves from laughing out loud but like don't be please please laugh out loud please do it's both great for the other audience members to feel like they're not alone and also it's great for the per person performing too because they are expecting you to laugh and if you don't laugh they really think that they're the problem and that they haven't a good job performing so please if you're crying cry I mean not too loud and if you're laughing please laugh out loud <laughs> okay so um basically Celia Loma as I said played every single character in this play which was very impressive because she was able to help us understand which character was which very easily this is very difficult uh because there's no costume changes um, she basically almost never moved in terms of like, oh, like they're facing each other while talking. So I should move from left to right. No, how she did this was through gestures. So, for example, one of the characters had his hand up all the time or one of the characters had an accent while like, I don't know, she was tucking her hair on bef behind her ear, stuff like that. So like there were different accents, there were different gestures, which I thought really helped with keeping up with the story. And um, yeah, also like I really felt that I was invested in the characters and their story and especially Miss Sun, who was basically the main character of the story. And so what happens in this play is Miss Sun decides to put on a play that's called our for our country's good or our country's good I think it's called our country's good <laughs> anyways and basically this play is about prisoners putting on a play <laughs> yes I told you it's a play within a play within a play uh, but yeah and see the thing is it started out as funny but then it became very touching and emotional because um this high school in question like uh is a high school of all black kids and miss sun is also black and so she's thinking why did i choose a play about convicts 
these kids are told every day by everyone around them that they're going to end up in prison anyways. Why didn't I choose a story about kings and queens, something that would empower them? Why instead I choose something that they think that's going to happen to them anyways? Which honestly, um, considering all of the Black Lives movements going on currently, which I fully support, I want to say, um, just I want to mention... It felt really real and raw and yeah um, anyways so at the end I really wanted to cry but I didn't so it was definitely an emotional roller coaster if I do say so myself um, <laughs> I feel like this is very not organized I'm really sorry about that but I just have a lot of feelings and thoughts about this play and I'm not sure if I'm gonna be able to mention everything so I'm just trying to get through them as fast as I can. Um, the lighting was amazing. I don't know who the tech person was, but they were killing it. There were so many lighting transitions that also helped with the character transitions as well. And I just want to applaud them for it. Honestly, amazing. The set was really pretty. Um, I mean, how can a rundown high school be pretty? It wasn't pretty as in like, it was aesthetic. It was pretty as in it was well done. It was well built and it looked realistic. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. <laughs> so let me talk a little bit more about the, the play itself because I... As I said, I have too many feelings about it. It made me miss performing so much because there was this scene where the kids were backstage with Miss Sun and they were feeling all these like nervous shingles um, before, right before they go on stage. And that made me realize how much I miss performing myself, how much I miss being on stage myself. I love 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 going to plays and reviewing them for you but at the same time I love performing too so um that just reminded me how much I love that yeah I wanted to say that <laughs> also another thing is that um teaching is really important teachers are really important they shape the kids aka our future and so when there was the scene where Miss Sun was talking to the principal and telling her that she wanted to quit because these kids were very difficult. Um, yeah, one of the most emotional scenes, I would say. And that scene, I at that point, I was like, hey, maybe I want to be a teacher. <laughs> Honestly, this play made me feel so many things and made me passionate about so many things. And I got chills throughout the whole thing. So I would definitely recommend it is going on until November. So you have a lot of time to watch it. Also, it is, um, what's it called? Like they have an option. You can either see it in person or online. So the online tickets are, of course, cheaper than the in-person ones. So if you ever wanted to see a play being put on by the arts club but you thought that the tickets were expensive then this is perfect for you because you have cheaper ticket options now and if you do go see it in person um you cannot take off your mask so if you're if you have difficulty with masks then i would not recommend 
going to see it in person because you have to have your mask on um, during the whole thing. And this was an hour, by the way. This was a one-act play. And But, like, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have difficulties with the mask. And I didn't even feel the mask on me during the performance at all because I was focused on the actress and the story and what was going on. Also, if you're worried about social distancing, really, you don't need to be because most of the seats are, like, closed, basically, I feel like there were 20 people in the audience in general and how they did it is was um, there were four people in a row, two in the beginning, two in the end. And then so you had distance both like sideways and like front and back. And so they had really good measures. Also, they took contact information in case anyone shows symptoms. So you, they will let you know um, that was very well done by the arts club. I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, I I just want to finish this show off by saying I just know Child was very special. I have done many reviews and I have seen many plays, but No Child hit very different. I just want to say if you have the chance, please watch it. The actress did an amazing job and yeah no child left behind basically i hope you have a good rest of your week and i will talk to you guys again next week on the 14th see ya bye